What's up, family? You are tuned into Law and Disorder, a podcast where we expose the cracks in our system, agitate for resistance, and collectively build a new world in which all of us can thrive. From KPFA Radio and the Pacifica Network, I'm your host, Kat Brooks. The state continues to wage war on the Atlanta stops, Cop City protesters. The most recent move being the indictment of 61 organizers on RICO charges. Joining us to discuss are Kiana Jones, a stop Cop City organizer for community movement builders in Atlanta. Good morning, Kiana. Good morning. How are you? I'm doing okay. Thank you so much for joining us. I know there is so much going on for you all right now. We are also joined by Stephen Harge, a member of the Atlanta chapter of the Black Alliance for Peace, or BAP. He is also part of a broader coalition of individuals and organizations fighting back against Atlanta's uh, Cop City plan. Good morning, Stephen. Good morning. Thanks for having me on. Thanks so much for joining. First, even though, because we've covered it a bunch on the show, um, I'm sure most of my listeners know, but Kiana, can you give us a brief refresher on what Cop City is? Absolutely. Cop City is a $90 million plus militarized police training facility project that would seek to continually repress the black community in South DeKalb County and Southeast Atlanta. This is a project that is being done in unincorporated DeKalb County, where the city of Atlanta essentially has no jurisdiction and had none until they were illegally allowed to acquire the land where they want to build Cop City and have now leased it to the APF. The thing that people really have to know is that this project would include cutting down 381 acres of forest land and destroying a watershed that is really vital to South DeKalb County. This is why some of the organizers are referred to as forest defenders or forest protectors. Yes. Stephen, the, the, the organizing started off quickly um, and fiercely. Also, the repression came fast and swift, most infamously and tragically with the murder of the activist Tortuguita. Can you walk my listeners through some of the other tactics that have been used to intimidate organizers over the last year or so? Yeah, um, it's been... Honestly, they 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 are doing a lot of the, the same usual tricks that you see police tactics have used really all over the country since the um, 2014 Ferguson uprisings and everything that had resulted of that. Um, but you know, I've one of the most the one of the most uh, craziest things about how um, they have been trying to stop people from getting involved. I've seen. Um, there was a, I recall there was a, I think it was a solidarity concert. I don't even think it was actually in the con, it was actually in the the forest in question. Yeah. It was just a solidarity concert. They advertised it uh, and you had people who showed up, you know, they were, they, they, they were just, you know, interested or they might've just caught, it might've caught their eye not having any sort of like significant experience or, or heavily involved in the, in the activism and the organizing around the movement. Um, and then the police showed up and, and arrested everybody at a solidarity concert. Um, right. So you see that, you see them heavily armed, on, you know, at every single um, demonstration and protest. That's par for, uh, that's par for the course. Um, and I think really what you see with these indictments is how much they're going to criminalize um, not only political ideology, they cite um, anarchist thought um, or what they believe to be anarchist thought a lot, 
Um, but, you know, also trying to criminalize or use this proof of a criminal conspiracy of donating to bail funds or um, doing or, you know, doing mutual aid or, you know, reimbursing somebody for food or gas money. Um, these are very, um, these are, these are very, what's the word I'm looking for? These are very normal things. Like these are not something that when you don't, like when you go to a, uh, when you donate to a bail fund or you show up um, to, to, to help canvas and flyer, you don't expect to, to get arrested and hit with a domestic terrorism charge. You don't expect to get hit with a RICO charge. Um, so the, the indictments here really kind of, you know, they're really a warning shot, um, you know, from the state to, to the people saying that, you know, we see you, uh, and not only do we see you, but yeah, they're doing this to shut down um, political dissent and thought. So I'll stop it there. Sorry. <laughs> No, you're good. You're good. Kiana, one of the things that disturbed me is that if you look at the indictment, this document or parts of it was started in 2020 during the George Floyd rebellions. What does that tell you? That tells us that since the day that George Floyd was murdered and people all over this country stood up against police terror, that there has been a concerted effort to quell any type of dissent in this country against law enforcement agencies, against authoritarian structures. And what that tells us is that this has been in the making ever since that date. Although that date predates the Stop Cop City movement, that is the time that law enforcement and authoritarian government came together to say, look, we have to put a stop to this. In the words of Attorney General Chris Carr, he had said that he would, quote, unquote, put anyone down, like we will put them down if they stand to oppose us. So this is what the government is seeking to do. And it started back in 2020. After the uprisings of 2020, you saw proposals for cop cities popping up all over the country. You see what's happening in Chicago. Hawaii was able to defeat theirs. There's a proposal in Baltimore. New York City has a version. Seattle this is exactly what the government has been preparing for, but they're showing us in no uncertain terms that they are not for serving the will of the people, that they are going to criminalize dissent, and that if you dare to oppose them, then they will put you down. And for uh, my Bay Area listeners, please know that there is a cop city proposal for San Pablo. They didn't do it in Alameda County because this is where our movement is the strongest, but they put it in San Pablo, and there are organizers working to to beat that back here as well. Kiana, when you said those words of uh, that Chris Carr said, it was eerily reminiscent to me of the words of the federal government, J. Edgar Hoover, about the destruction of the Black Panther Party. By any means necessary. Absolutely. Absolutely. I mean, we see those same tactics being employed here. We remember COINTELPRO and we understand what that was about. When we look at the uprisings of 2020, we see where we had so many government agents who were placed inside of movements to try to dispel the, well, not to dispel rumors, but to dispel those movements to make sure that they initiated dissent within the movement so that they could implode. And we have seen 
here in this movement to stop cop city, we absolutely see it. We hear the same terminology about outside agitators. We hear this same terminology about domestic terrorism. But where's the terrorism in reimbursing someone for food? Yeah, I mean that that's my organization APTP when we we do that all the time. Bail funds, food, mutual aid. I mean, it's what we do because as organizers right across the country, we take care of us. Absolutely. Um Stephen, you you mentioned it briefly, but I want to go a little deeper here. The Rico indictment, which by the way, listeners, like was created to deal with organized crime. That that's how Rico came on the scene, but the RICO indictment is a long diatribe uh, about anarchists and anarchist politics. Why do you think they're building this specific type of political targeting? Um, I think they're building the specific type of, of, of targeting because they recognize who has the capacity to build um, power against them. Um, and, you know, the, the indictment goes on and on and on about anarchists. <clears throat> But I can, you know, I can tell you for a fact that, you know, the vast majority of the movement are not self-identified anarchists. And that's not to poo-poo um, anarchist thought or ideology at all. But it's very intentional with the way that they're trying to use the most extremist descriptor um, that they can in order to paint the people, um, you know, just as it was mentioned, for reimbursing somebody for food. Um, as a part of a criminal conspiracy. And they're trying, and, and, the, and the indictment actually spends so much time um, kind of just a, a massive scribe against, uh, against anarchism, and it's very ideological. Um, and I think you see this, and it, and it does actually tie back into, as, it was, as, as was mentioned, um, you know, this all goes back to the, the the Black Lives Matter movement, um, the 2020, and that's and, and and it was mentioned, you know, the the start date of the of the indictments coincided with George Floyd, and you see, so when when you start looking at all of the pieces, they're telling you this is why they're doing this. They're telling you that when y'all started protesting and marching. Um, going downtown, breaking, uh, you know, vandalizing the, you know, the CNN building, like all of that is very intentional because when you go look at who are the financial sponsors for the Atlanta Police Foundation, which is the primary entity um, proposing this facility, it's all the Georgia, like, it's all the Georgia company. It's Home Depot, it's Delta, it's Chick-fil-A, it's Waffle House, it's UPS. Um, and the people who control those companies, they saw the 2020 uprisings and they got scared. Uh, the police got scared. So there, so that's why all of this stuff is, so that's why, that's why, that's how Cop City, um, that's why they're pushing so hard for Cop City and why they're using such an ideological bent toward in their attacks because, they know they're basically, basically basically signaling to the pro cop caucus, right? Of these are just like these these are people who just who who don't want law and order. 
Um, so we have to treat them and we have to marginalize and we have to crush that to say if we want to continue to have law and order. But the issue is, yeah. you know, what law and order are we talking about? Right. Law and order for who? I, I, I think to just continue on this thread just a little bit, and, and then I, I actually want to turn uh, our attention to what, I don't know if it's still going on, but what happened this morning. I saw a post from Mary Hooks. But I think, you know, remembering the, the power of messaging. And again, we saw it with the demonization of the Black Panther Party as gun-toting criminals, right? Stoking the fears of white people, of black people, running amok with, with guns. I think that the same thing is happening, right? With that, there was an intentional linking of anarchist or anarchist ideology with violence and and mayhem, et cetera. So that even again, I'll throw this to you: like even white liberals, right, or even black liberals, get scared and back on up with that kind of messaging. It does have an impact on our movement and support for it. Correct? Oh, it definitely does. And they know the power of messaging, just as you said. It goes back to the Black Panther Party. It goes back to the time of the Civil Rights Movement. It goes back to the time of abolition. Fear has been the number one tactic of government propaganda to make people fall in line so that people who are even against something will fall in line with the plan if you scare them enough. And this is what they want to do. What I say to that, when people ask about, oh, don't you want law and order? The first thing I have to ask is the same thing that you asked, like law and order for who? Whose laws and who's going to be in order? Because at the end of the day, if I know that this government was formed without a thought for me, why would I be so anxious to fall in line with the quote unquote rule of law? The rule of law used to be that my ancestors were counted, you know, as partially a person, right? The rule of law used to be that we could not vote. The rule of law used to be that we had to sit in the back of the bus, that we couldn't sit at the same lunch counters with white people. The rule of law used to be that we couldn't own property. So when laws are unjust, what do we do? And why should I want to follow those unjust laws? And why do we fight so hard? And it gets me upset, particularly with a lot of middle class black people who believe that police are necessary. And, oh, we have to have this because, oh, we don't need to be, you know, over there with the riffraff. They don't need to be able to get to us. Well, honey, don't you know we're all the riffraff if we are not in the one percent? It's all of us. You're no better. And what people have to understand is that the fear mongering will continue, but it's the oldest trick in the book. When you look at that movie, Birth of a Nation, the fear mongering, like you mentioned about the Black Panther Party, how they were depicted because they were intelligent black people who knew the laws who actually did abide by the laws, but they engaged in mutual aid. They had a setup that made it so that the black community could come together and support each other without reliance upon the government. If you get free lunch, if your child get free lunch, thank you to the Black Panther Party. Because these are the types of initiatives that our movement put in place. These are the types of things that mutual aid brings about. So no, I'm not looking for law and order as we know it today, because if I look for law and order as we know it today, then I would think that this RICO indictment had some teeth for real. But we know that it doesn't. 
the laws are unjust. And if we cannot live peaceably within those laws, if we can't all live peaceably within them, then we have to change them. And the only way we do that is by changing the government system that issues them. Very well said. You actually brought tears to my eyes. Um, (laughs) The other thing that often brings tears to my eyes is y'all's resilience. Like, you you must know that that organizers across the country are are so inspired and standing in solidarity um with with the work y'all are putting in because what you do there right will impact all of us and in all of our movements and all of our cities Stephen, I'm wondering if you can talk a bit about the people's injunction that is happening right now uh, at the cop <laughs> city site. <laughs> Uh, I'm actually trying to catch up on that myself, um, but I do know that there are um, there is a group right now at the site um, holding a demonstration. Uh, of course, there <laughs> there's police there strapped up, um, you know, for some for some unarmed people. So you you already know the vibes. Um, but I, you know, I think speaking to like, you know, the people's induction, I think it does underline, um, you know, the size of the movement, especially compared to where it was when, when cop city was, was, was first a thing. Um, and I think that really kind of like speaks to why the state is acting in this way right now is because, um, you know, we and I, I was putting together a, a statement for 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 Bob Atlanta yesterday. You know, if they were if they were winning, they wouldn't be arresting people for flying. If they were winning, they wouldn't be arresting people for uh, donating to a bail fund. Um, but every it seems like everything that the state does or, and that the city and the police have done in, in reaction to. Um, in reaction to the counter protest against this, uh, against Cop City, is it's getting it's getting bigger. It's now, like you mentioned, it's now a nationwide uh, movement. Like you, you see people doing banner drops and events and programs, teachings all over the country. Um, Kiana mentioned, you know, there are other Cop Cities that are that are being planned right now. Um, so I, it, it really, what what's really scaring um, the city of Atlanta and the state of Georgia is, is because this is now is, is is now a a or at least turning into if not on the precipice of a popular a popular mass movement and that really scares them um, because when you take into account the the murder of uh, Torsigita earlier this year there were arrests um, some uh, uh, there were arrests sometime last year in addition to the arrests this. Uh, to the to the Rico and, um, indictment from this week, uh, you know, it seems like everything they do, it just turns into more of a like it just gets more popular. The the the, the news is spreading, so it's very um, uh, what's the is it the Streisand effect is very counterproductive in what they're trying to do. Um, and it's, and I think ultimately it'll be the thing that will that will do them in. But you know, when you're as a, as the state, you know, when you're when you don't realize, you know, the tide or the wave is against you, you're just going to keep grasping on 
to every little thing that you can that, that you can, which is really kind of like where these indictments um, I think are coming from is out of desperation. Um, but it absolutely should not be missed that you know some of this stuff can absolutely be effective. Um, even if you look in, in at, at, at some of the charges, and, you know, and you might have some people who say, oh, you know, these, these the evidence here is so flimsy. <clears throat> the evidence here is so flimsy. There's no way, you know, they'll get off, you know, they'll beat the case. Not realizing that they've already, you know, spent thousands of dollars in legal fees. If they couldn't, if they couldn't make bail or bond, now they have to, what, at the Fulton County Jail, which, you know, by the way, for, you know, for some of the listeners, kills, has, has killed somebody almost every week since July. Um, somebody has died at the Fulton County Jail. Um, and, then, and, then, and then they have to go through the legal process, which the legal even system. if you come out on the other side as... Traumatized. As, 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 yeah, like even if you come out on the other side as being the case, you're traumatized, you're, you have less money than when you went into it. Um, right. you, depending on how you might have lost your, your you know, your a job, your source of income, and like right. all of these things are supposed to be demoralizing and supposed to be. It doesn't matter if any of the charges stick. It doesn't matter if they're trying to get anybody to flip. It's just it 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 is the 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 it is how broad and just kind of how there's no way they would do that. There's no way they're going to actually argue this in court. Oh, but they will. And they don't but care. They will. It doesn't make sense because they have the benefit of there, there, there are no, there are, there is, there are very few legal drawbacks to them running this plan. There's nobody that's going to come at the end of it and say, Oh no, this is terrible. Maybe you should be on trial. Like that, they know that's not going to happen, so they'd have very little to lose by running these very, very flimsy um, charges and, and evidence. So, but at the, at the end of the day, all of it's going to do is just put more eyes on it. It's going to illuminate their their quite frankly very authoritarian and dystopian behavior, um, and right. just get more people involved in the movement to, to stop it. Right. All right, Stephen, I've got to I've got to leave this there. Move on to my next segment. I want to thank you both so much for coming on the show. I hope you'll come back as we continue to cover the Stop Cop City movement. We've been speaking to Kiana Jones, a Stop Cop City organizer for community movement builders in Atlanta, and Stephen Harge, a member of the Atlanta chapter of the Black Alliance for Peace or BAP. He's also a part of a broader coalition of individuals and organizations fighting back against Atlanta's Stop Cop City plan. You've been listening to Law and Disorder, a podcast where we expose the cracks in our system, agitate for resistance, and collectively build a new world in which all of us can thrive. That's it for this episode, family. You can find more information about topics and guests in this episode's show notes. Law and Disorder is produced at KPFA. That's listener-supported radio on the Pacifica Network. The show is produced by Jesse Strauss and hosted by me, Kat Brooks. Our theme music was composed by Steve Raskin of Fort Knox Five. If you like what you heard, please follow us on social media at Law and Dis, that's D-I-S, and subscribe wherever you listen to podcasts. Feel free to holler at us about something you heard or send us a show idea at lawanddisorder at kpfa.org. You can also find our content live at 8 a.m. weekdays on KPFA. That's 94.1 FM in the Bay Area. Our show and all of KPFA's programs are funded exclusively by you, the listener. And if you're in a position to support us, please donate today at kpfa.org. Take care of yourself and take care of each other. We all we got, fam. <laughs>